Vince overheard a coworker explaining that he was scientifically unable to be as happy now as he was before he had kids. He cited a study he found that went into depth about how having babies reduces happiness. Well, I found the study he cited, and it's a bit more nuanced than he made it sound. It's called Parenthood and Happiness, Effects of Work-Family Reconciliation Policies in 22 OECD Countries. Alright, the title gives it away. This paper isn't researching the question, does having babies make people happier? This paper is researching public policy and the effects these policies have on parents and families. The abstract to the study starts by saying, in contrast to widespread cultural beliefs that parenthood improves the health and happiness of adults, research finds that parents report lower levels of emotional well-being than non-parents in many developed countries. Basically, the paper confirms what has been a suspicion of mine for a long time. Society has launched an attack on families. And I believe this study has slightly nefarious undertones. In a gaslighting fashion, the study asks parents how happy they are in the midst of a no-win situation that has been created by bad government policies. And when parents say they aren't happy because it's hard to have families in these settings of unsupportive government policies, anti-family groups say, well, see, I told you children make you unhappy. Anyway, the study continues... We theorize that the larger policy context in which Americans parent is a fundamental cause of why they experience less happiness than their childless peers. We also expect that the parental status disparity in happiness is smaller in countries with strong family policies than in countries that provide minimal public assistance to parents, such as the U.S. When addressing the actual reasons as to why there is a gap in parental well-being, it says... Children increase symptoms of emotional distress, depression, and anxiety, as well as negative emotions such as anger, while decreasing positive feelings such as happiness, which is essentially due to time and energy demands, work-family conflicts and overload, difficulties in obtaining high-quality, affordable childcare, and financial strain. In a nutshell, and based on my key takeaways from this study, parents seem to be more stressed because societal conditions restrict time, resources, and money necessary to have a family. Boiled down, there seem to be two key causes of mental health disparities between parents and non-parents, namely the unequal distribution of resources and social support across different social groups. Well, to state the opposite, Parents who have resources and social support networks are happier. Well, I don't disagree. Access to money and family or a good social network absolutely helps me raise my daughter and provides me much-needed relief at times. That said, I still think the study misses the bigger picture entirely. I think there are two main flaws of this study. First, it doesn't examine the fatherlessness variable as an underlying cause, and second, it doesn't control for traditional nuclear family units for a comparison. The study makes a point to distinguish between proximate causes and distal causes that drive the gaps in parental well-being. Distal causes are said to be the quote-unquote real reason something happens as opposed to the proximate cause which would be the closest or most immediate event responsible for the observed result. The largest cause of stress was financial strain which is approximate stress according to this study. 
Well, what are the distal causes for financial stress? Meaning, what is the root cause of financial stress? The study dives into what they call the American context for parenting. In 2012, it was estimated to cost $234,000 to raise a child to age 17. The distal or main cause stated by this study is that these costs are increasingly being borne by mothers rather than fathers and that the U.S. has done little to ameliorate the incompatibility of full-time employment and family care. All right, again, I don't disagree with that. I think there could be better policies in the U.S. focused on helping parents. That said, I think this is a swing and a miss right here on identifying the biggest distal or root cause. The study says that the source of this problem is incompatibility between full-time work and family care. Sure, we could always be doing better at this, but I think a much bigger root cause is the blatant acceptance to create and bring children into this world without fathers or nuclear families. So fatherless homes are starting to become more normal, which obviously causes the financial burden of these children to fall on single moms. According to Pew Research, single motherhood is in fact on the rise, from 13% in 1968 to 21% in 2017. About one in three of those single mothers are living in poverty, also according to Pew Research. And rather than focus on promoting families, we're just trying to make it easier on the single moms. Again, I am all for helping single moms. That's not my contention here at all. My contention is that we aren't doing society any favors by ignoring the biggest and most obvious distal cause, which is the societal acceptance of the disappearing father. In his book, Fatherless America, David Blankenhorn said, From a societal perspective, this particular consequence of fatherlessness is very much like most others. It is not remediable. Paternal disinvestment cannot be offset by either maternal investment or public investment. As a society, we will not solve our crisis of fatherlessness with prison cells, mentoring programs, anti-violence curricula, boyfriends, anti-stalking laws, children's advocates, income transfers, self-esteem initiatives, or even mothers. We solve it only with fathers. In other words, there is no other answer. We need fathers, and this study doesn't mention this at all. The need for fathers does not diminish the fact that there is room to focus on both making lives better for working moms and encouraging the reemergence of a focus on nuclear families. In my opinion, it is kind of a selfish place to be. Study after study has shown us that the family unit is the best situation for children to thrive. So instead of trying to maintain the nuclear family standard for a child's sake, we bend societal norms to accept our narcissistic ways of life and compensate for them in and out of the workplace. Instead of supporting policies to promote strong nuclear families, we are promoting broken families in return for some extra spending money and free time. Better workplace conditions are great, but remember that the workplace isn't the home. As it turns out, the best thing we've done for families is to allow parents more flexibility to be away from the workplace. It's crazy to me that we don't see that we're coming full circle here. The things that make parents the happiest are the things that recreate home life for our children, with or without us in the home. Meaning, if we have to be away from our children, we want them to be in the conditions that most closely resemble life with us. This study says that 
Paid time off and resources for childcare are two main resources that promote parental well-being. What appears to me is that parents are happier and have a higher well-being when they have time to be with their kids or they have the resources necessary to pay somebody else to be with them when mom and dad have to be away. Either way, parents are happier when they take care of and provide for their children. This does not seem to be some novel idea at all. It just seems to me that as a society, we're taking the long way through what appears to be an attempt to combine two things that are negatively correlated, time with and time away from our families. Government policies are trying to help, but they are exacerbating the problem. That said, government policies tend to reflect culture. It makes sense that policies are getting more and more anti-family because we as a society are devaluing families first. Before I get into how I think government promotes broken families, a quick word on the cultural side of things. I believe all our attempts to promote better career potential at the behest of our families are based on narcissism. Jim Taylor, a psychology professor at the University of San Francisco, said, Narcissism is a personality characteristic associated with self-absorption, egocentrism, an overestimation of one's own importance and abilities, a sense of entitlement, and a disregard for others. One study found that 30% of young people were classified as narcissistic according to a widely used psychology test. That number has doubled in the last 30 years. Another study reported a 40% decline among young people in empathy, a personality attribute inversely related to narcissism since the 1980s. It seems like society as a whole is headed straight toward the gutter. We're so self-absorbed that we can't step out of our own world for a second to understand what somebody else might be going through. I mean, how excited are we going to be then when the idea of bringing a child into this world threatens our narcissistic tendencies? As mentioned earlier, children cost time and money and resources. These are things that a narcissist is not going to want to give up. Not only that, narcissists lack empathy. That sounds like a great recipe, a bunch of kids being born to parents who aren't able to understand and share their feelings, which is a direct definition of empathy from the dictionary. Narcissism is the first prong to the two-pronged attack on nuclear families, and it's a cultural issue, not a political issue. That said, I think politics are downstream from culture, so it makes sense that we vote from foundations of narcissistic tendencies. The overall trends in society are going to permeate through our laws and politics. The second prong comes from government. Government policies can and do promote broken families. But how? Prior to 1960, nearly all children were born in nuclear intact families. Then, in 1964, the U.S. enacted a war on poverty that essentially correlated strongly with the non-marital childbearing by making benefits primarily available to single-parent households. And then in 1969, we saw the beginning of no-fault divorce start to take our country by storm. No-fault divorce essentially means that a divorce can be made legal without either partner doing anything wrong. They just don't want to be married anymore. In my opinion, some no-fault divorces and narcissism are probably strongly correlated. It's quite clear now, after decades of research, that divorce has significant negative impacts for kids. They are collateral damage to the dysfunction of their parents. So the government decided to, within five years of each other, give money to single-parent households and make it easier to create single-parent households. 
welfare more and more took the place of having a father in the home, which caused marriage to happen less and less. This is a vicious cycle. Welfare promotes more single-parent families, and the more and more fathers that leave the home, the more and more those homes need welfare. According to Pew Research, single mothers are much more likely to be in poverty than single fathers, yet most single-parent households are moms. Fatherless homes and welfare exacerbate each other in a downward spiral. Another way the government promotes non-marital families is through policies that actively penalize parents who do marry. As stated by the Heritage Foundation, all means-tested welfare programs are designed so that the family's benefits are reduced as earnings rise. In practice, this means that if a low-income mother marries an employed father, her welfare benefits will generally be substantially reduced. The mother can maximize welfare by remaining unmarried and keeping the father's income off of her books. The government's programs to help low-income single-parent households are exacerbating the problems that promote broken families. In fact, let's discuss what might be happening as the government makes full-time employment and single-parenthood more quote-unquote compatible. In other words, incentivizing parents to not marry in exchange for financial or professional benefits. Remember that the two primary distal causes we started this conversation with were 1. financial resources and 2. social resources or a social support structure. The government only cares and enacts policies to promote the former. Their policies are still anti-nuclear family. While we still don't have enough data for a conclusion, Robert Verbruggen at the Institute of Family Studies cited a working paper out of John Hopkins University that suggests a trend that promoting this compatibility between employment and single parenthood is also exacerbating the problem, meaning mothers are even less likely to marry the father of their children because the need for financial stability decreases. Now folks might suggest, well, a mother shouldn't stay with some guy just because of financial reasons. Well, true, I agree with that. I would also suggest that if a woman didn't have enough reasons to stay with a guy, she shouldn't choose to have intimate relations that lead to the possibility of having his children. And on the flip side, I disdain deadbeat dads. There is no excuse for them to abandon the women they create children with and subsequently abandon those children. Now back to the point I was making. The study we started with suggested that the overarching problem that is the source of a lower emotional well-being of parents in the United States is a lack of financial and social resources. It further suggests that the solution is to increase the compatibility between full-time employment and parenthood, particularly among single parenthood. Early findings suggests that they are still missing the mark. Sure, single-parent homes might have more money, but they are still single-parent homes, and the government is promoting more and more single-parent homes. Children are still better off with both parents. Dare I say that children growing up in a nuclear, intact family are better off than growing up in a single-parent family that just has more money? Giving people more and more money might alleviate pain, suffering, and hardship, but it will not solve the problems associated with single-parenthood and broken families. Robert Rector, a leading authority on poverty and welfare programs at the Heritage Foundation, found that when compared with children in intact married homes, Children raised by single parents are more likely to have emotional and behavioral problems, be physically abused, smoke, drink, and use drugs, be aggressive, engage in violent, delinquent, and criminal behavior, have poor school performance, be expelled from school, and drop out of high school. 
Many of these negative outcomes are associated with the higher poverty rates of single mothers. In many cases, however, the improvements in child well-being that are associated with marriage persist even after adjusting for differences in family income. This indicates that the father brings more to his home than just a paycheck. As stated earlier, the two primary root causes of a decrease in emotional well-being are the lack of financial and social resources. So even when controlling for financial resources, the detriment in most cases still remains because the father brings more to his home than just a paycheck. The nuclear family is the best possible vehicle to promote a healthy social fabric. Yet knowing this, the study we started with in this conversation says that the solution is not to promote nuclear families, it is to promote policies that allow for more compatibility between careers and raising children, especially in single parenthood. According to their own definition, I'd say the incompatibility between careers and children are not distal causes, but rather proximate causes, and the overall distal cause driving a decrease in emotional well-being is an increase in narcissism and a feeling that babies and marriage are somehow unjustly taking away from us what we may think the world owes us. Narcissism and healthy familial outcomes seem to me to be the incompatible relationship here that causes more unhappiness. So now that I've yelled from my soapbox about fathers for a little bit, I want to come full circle back to the study again. The study suggesting that parents aren't as happy as non-parents. Sure, based on the yardstick they used, I suppose that's true, but there are inherent problems with the research and methods used for measuring. Their measurements didn't even take into account fatherlessness. Chris Herbst of Arizona State University and John Eifer of Santa Clara University authored a critique of this research and found two big flaws. They said, First, the standard empirical specification in studies using repeated cross-sections yields an estimate of the average parental gap over time. For example, one study by Detella et al. in 2001 estimates the average effect of parental status over approximately 17 years of Eurobarometer data. Implicit in this framework is that the parental happiness gap remains constant over time. If, however, parents and non-parents follow different happiness time trends, then previous research potentially mischaracterizes the parental happiness gap. And second, previous studies generally do not dedicate sufficient attention to the definition of the parent indicator variable. For example, they do not discuss which groups of parents fall within their definition, full versus empty nest parents, for example, nor do they discuss the advantages and disadvantages of the chosen definition. Other studies do not explicitly define the parent variable. Among papers that explicitly define the parent variable, there is considerable variation in the definition. One study's definition is based on the survey question, have you had any children? This is arguably narrow in scope in that it presumably omits adopted and stepchildren. It also does not allow one to distinguish between full and empty nest parents. This distinction is potentially important in light of research that indicates that the presence or absence of a child in the home can lead to different conclusions about parental well-being. Another study asks explicitly about respondents' biological children, thereby excluding adopted, step, and foster children. And lastly, another study 
only included quote-unquote new parents. In other words, all the previous studies fail to properly control for time and circumstance. For example, a current parent with a biological three-year-old is going to be measured the same as a 65-year-old empty nester who may have adopted when in later years of life for one or all the studies, but never consistently. To make it more disparate, both responses would measure the quote-unquote well-being of the current circumstances at the time of responding. In essence, they called an apple an orange. The authors who critiqued this study did a couple of things differently with the same data sets. First, they focused on active parents, those with children between 0 and 17 in the home. They did find that parents were about 6% less likely to report high levels of well-being than non-parents. First of all, pretty small margin to be throwing around claims that being a parent makes you less happy. Second, they also found that in the latter half of the study, there was no well-being gap. There was, in fact, a parental well-being surplus in the latter half of the study. Furthermore, in the latter half of the study, they found that there was no well-being gap for respondents that were 45 and under. Now this one is interesting. When controlling for both age and definition of parent, they actually found no gap in well-being. Parents were just as happy as non-parents. Here's the kicker, too. They found that parents' well-being is actually increasing relative to the non-parents over the same study period. What they found was that parents have been consistently reporting about the same levels of happiness over time. There doesn't appear to be an absolute increase to their well-being, but the well-being of non-parents appears to be decreasing absolutely. You can infer from this that given the circumstances, parents' tendency to be happier is more resilient than non-parents when compared apple to apple. In their discussion, they posed this question. Why have parents experienced a relative increase in happiness over the past few decades? One potential explanation is that having children may protect parents against social and economic factors that increasingly reduce well-being. Examples of such factors include the decline in community and political involvement, growing disconnectedness from family and friends, and the growth in economic insecurity. They propose that parents may not be as vulnerable to these changes, in fact, regarding the erosion of social and civic connectedness, interpersonal trust, and economic security, the effect on non-parents has been dramatically less. Parents are more likely to visit friends, stay social, and remain engaged in politics. Non-parents, however, are more likely to agree with this statement. I feel like I am so busy trying to make everybody else happy that I don't have control over my own life. In other words, and in summary, the family unit is protection. People who choose to be parents are actually trending positively against their non-parent counterparts regarding well-being over time. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is the end-all be-all of studies on families. I am suggesting, however, that it is a bit myopic to suggest that simply because life is getting harder for parents and overall well-being might feel threatened, that the sole cause is having children. Allow me for a minute to get on my soapbox and simply say, don't listen to the naysayers. Don't let somebody tell you that you aren't happy. Don't let somebody else assume your motives and tell you how you should feel about being a parent. And don't let anyone make you question your worth as a dad. Your contribution is so much greater than any government or social program could ever provide. 